a lot of hard work pursuing life, uh, living life, uh, having interesting successes and failures, uh, ultimately going through and asking the tough questions about who are you, uh, what do you value, and what do you see as being the meaning of life, and what gives you a sense of purpose and fulfillment. And interestingly, when these questions are answered, they never point back to my ability to use my legs. Hello, my friends, and welcome to another episode of the Life Rebuilder podcast. This is your host, Erez Avramov, and today I have a remarkable guest with us, Rick Hansen. Rick may well be the most admired Canadian. He's been a role model for myself and for thousands. It's been almost 30 years since he circled the globe to raise funds for spinal cord research, a cause his foundation continues to pursue today. Obviously, it's a cause close to his heart. Rick was paralyzed in a car accident as a teenager, and in the years since has raised millions and became an inspiration and hope for thousands. He's had numerous awards, including the highest level of the Order of Canada, induction into the Canadian Sports Hall of Fame, and multiple gold winner of the Paralympics. Rick has dedicated his life to improving the lives of others. And today we have the opportunity to really learn about Rick's life perspective. What does it take to do what he has done? What drives him? What is his passion? And how has he managed to put all of this together over the years? So my friends, let's welcome Rick Hansen. Rick, first of all, thank you for taking the time and um, spending some time with us on this podcast where we really want to learn a little bit more about you and about what has been the main driver for yourself throughout these years and projects that you've taken on. Well, thank you. It's an honor to be here and have a chance to chat to you and, of course, share our common journeys and uh, lessons and perspective as we go through uh, the ups and downs of uh, life. Yeah, they seem to never end, yeah, right? Yeah, that's right. I know. Rick, I would like to start with um, something that I've heard you say so many times in the past. Do the best with what you have. Um, mm. Is your almost mantra, right? You keep saying this again mm -hmm. and again and again. Can you share with us how this became a life truth for you? Yeah, it's a, it's a great point, you know, that we sometimes get caught in the illusion of chasing things we don't have. And uh, we often tend to compare ourselves so much to others. We tend to look at our losses, our inabilities, and these things become a source of deep stress or discontent, often frustration. And they sometimes undermine our sense of self-esteem. And nowhere was that more evident for me than when I was 15 years age and I had my accident. It left me paralyzed and all of a sudden, all the things that I thought about were now the things I couldn't do. And as a matter of fact, I started to think that perhaps my life was over as I had dreamed, being an Olympic athlete or perhaps being an adventurer in the outdoors or a physical education teacher. All those things seemed to be shattered along with my spine. But thanks to a lot of role models and mentors and a lot of support, and a lot of thoughtful reflection, 
to find out where the source of my pain was coming from, it was often from focusing on what I on what I couldn't do, not on what I could do. And so the mantra of of making the best of what you have, uh, we have abundance. Uh, no matter what our inabilities are, we have abundance. And uh, and it is those strengths and those assets that are often ignored or neglected. And so I decided to shift that perspective. And no matter where I'm at, uh, no matter what I'm doing, uh, I, I put myself in a position where my abilities can shine and uh, my life could be full. And how did you develop that perspective? You know this as much as I do. We work, we work with communities that have experienced a devastating event in their lives. Mm-hmm. Everything has changed. You went through your injury, age 15. For me, it was later in life. But we find ourselves in that place of, of darkness. Of mm-hmm. you know, We lose hope. We think that the life we had were, is definitely not going to come again the same way. There's some new version of ourselves that we need to find out mm-hmm. what it is. For yourself, can you share how you took that perspective and you basically shifted it in a way that assisted you to get out of that place of, you know, hopelessness to some degree, right? When you're there in the bed and the doctor comes to you and say, listen, you will never walk again. How, how did that process look like for you? Yeah, it wasn't overnight for sure. There was uh, tough times to go through, a big gauntlet that uh, we call that. The, the gauntlet of trauma uh, and of loss. And, and to really help go through that, there's a process that comes from a couple of things, uh, forgiving yourself and, uh, and perhaps others if there was uh, consequential uh, impact. I had to forgive the driver uh, who crashed. I had to forgive myself uh, for, for making the decision. I had to forgive my body for not somehow you know, holding up uh, in this and uh, and recovering, and and uh, that was a big source of my pain. You know, that holding that anger and that uh, disappointment and that frustration. The other part was uh, to release the the trauma of the loss, the real trauma. Uh, and for me, it was talking about it, uh, finding a voice, and and being supported by caring, loving, and empathetic friends and supporters. The, the voice of being able to express oneself uh, really was part of healing and that uh, really had a big impact on me. And, and then, of course, it's then that repopulating your frame of reference about the horizon of hope uh, from a dark canvas of despair to having borders, uh, texture and color of a new possibility. I had no idea what that new life could be. And so the, the hopelessness came from that lack of awareness of what was possible. And fortunately, I was surrounded by role models and mentors who had been there before me, and their life was full. Their attitude was strong and positive, and they showed me that it could be done. And they also helped educate me about the things that were consistent with the things that I loved, the passions that I had, and I had to realize that those things still existed, but I had to change my point of reference about how to express that. So for me in sport, it had to be not, quote, uh, sport standing up, uh, playing basketball or volleyball. It was being able to sit in a chair and participate in Paralympic sport, highly competitive, you know, developed throughout the world and learned that nowhere in the definition of an athlete does it say you have to use your legs in order to be one. 
It's your heart, your passion, your courage. It's using a, a, a wheelchair as your vehicle and going as far as you can, being as best that you can be. And that's what an athlete's all about. And to learn that was liberating. And then all it was was a choice. Was I still the same person? Did I really love sport? If so, get rid of your stigma and your bias. Accept the new reality and shift and get going. And that was a transformative moment for me, for sure. Do you think that you being an athlete prior to the accident, because athletes, we know that it's a certain type of personality. I'm the same, and I've always challenged myself on the physical uh, world in a way that was kind of a test of how far can we go and what can we do. But when a devastating event like this happens in our lives, do you think that you were maybe better equipped to harness all this knowledge and fire and motivation that you had in you in order to make this recovery something to grow with instead of taking you down? I think it, it has pluses and it has minuses. The, the pluses are that you're surrounded with that work ethic, the discipline of hard work, perseverance, you know, setting goals, to be able to work with a team, and, and ultimately to go as far as you can through setbacks and adversity. And, and that, that was very, very important for my healing and recovery. The opposite of that was that my sense of view of who I was was deeply rooted. My self-esteem was deeply rooted in the wholeness of my body, its ability for superior performance and function, and the notion that being whole and potent meant to be fiercely independent and uh, and to do everything pretty much yourself. And so those maxims were a massive handicap for me in my new world. Because they tested you daily, it right? They tested me daily, and I had to systematically understand the source of my pain, uh, which was not about not being able to use my legs. It was that ingrained sense of identity that was the handicap and I had to remove that handicap and replace it with new maxims of healthy views of life which is that we uh, we are all interdependent and strength comes from being open vulnerable and engaging with other human beings and that their sense of motivation not burden uh, it comes from their ability to engage and to assist in uh, other people's success in human endeavor and that the camaraderie and the relationships are rich and deep and and that that is uplifting for your network as opposed to draining and therefore you can be open to be interdependent and it's a sign of strength and truly looking at yourself and becoming comfortable with your body as it is no matter what the imperfection uh, of all of us uh, and not being caught up in the comparison and, and accept you for who you are and then to be able to move forward in that new reality. And that, that, was, a, uh, that was a big process. Uh, it, took, it took years of uh, constant suffering and struggling until finally, thanks to lots of perspective, uh, lots of support, I, I was able to start to slowly shift, adopt, and, uh, and really own that philosophy. And then the authentic view of now who I am and, and what I've been able to do with my sense of meaning and purpose is, is owned by the discipline of working on that mantra. 
This is such a remarkable way when you look at life from that lens, right? Because so, for so many of us, when we hit this you know, rock bottom position and we don't know really what to do, the understanding that this is a process. Mm -hmm. There's no magic bullet here. There's right. no formula that you can adhere to and do something and all of a sudden everything will be fine right. and dandy. It, it, all of it, it takes time, right? And it's one of those things that I find over time, you learn as you go. I do always a lot of research, and, and Rick, you have always been a role model for myself and for so many others. And I've read the article, and I've listened uh, to the uh, interview you had with uh, Peter Mansbridge, right? That was a few years back. What a great guy, yeah. Mm -hmm. An awesome guy, and such a great interviewer. Uh, for me, I'm learning how to interview more and more, and uh, again, an, another mentor. You have said something, um, it was, this one was in the Globe and Mail, uh, an article in 2010 that was done by uh, Sarah Hampson. And you said, the biggest demon is not out there. It's what's inside your head. Now, we touched on it before of how you take these concepts, because a lot of our listeners, they hear these things and they said, you know, it's a great idea. It's a great concept. Uh, you can do it because look, you're Rick Hansen and you did all these great things in life and you achieved so much success. Look at me, I have my little life and it's shattered and I don't even know what to do. How did this process of taking that situation and those demons in our heads, how did you take them and harness them for the better? And do you still deal with them? Are they still there or yeah. do they disappear at some point? Yeah, I, I think that it's always a process for us, isn't it? You know, uh, you know, the, the complexity of humanity is that we, uh, we are complex people. Uh, we have very unique perspective and filters. And depending on your environment and the stimuli and how you respond to that is essentially the, uh, the key. But there is an interesting part. It's the, it's the space between what happens to you and what you feel uh, and how you respond and uh, ultimately uh, what that means to you. And there's a, there's a space there. And, and really, uh, often what happens with stimulus and response, if it's instantaneous, you know, you touch me in the shoulder, I think of that as an assault. Or, um, but maybe when I look at it, I think about it, I realize that, uh, that you actually were moving towards picking up some water and it was an accident. And then I wait a little longer and you realize you touched me and you say, I'm sorry. And, and, but boy, if I'd have responded instantaneously, I could have been angry and, uh, and mad. And, and, and those sorts of things can happen in other deeper ways as well. And so I've learned that there's a mindfulness, a space inside that I own, uh, a sovereignty, and, and, I, and I've practiced it. And, 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 and I, I can actually lengthen that period of time before I, I, I respond and then feel something and it either generates um, anger or compassion, um, a sense of understanding or uh, a sense of, you know, judgment. Or you know, those are the sorts of things that you know are they're really two outcomes from the same stimuli, the same whatever happened to you out there that really comes into you. It's filtered, it's processed, and then it comes out with a response. And so I, I work hard at that. But it doesn't mean that. 
that I'm immune for that, uh, you know, that I'm, quote, some enlightened person, because in reality, there are always new stimuli and things you're not perhaps uh, used to and, uh, you know, or things that you are that you have to think about when you're driving down the road and, and perhaps someone uh, cuts in and, uh, and now what happens? Do you, <laughs> do, you, do you respond by giving them the finger and starting a sense of, uh, of, of anger or do you kind of find some peace with it and just, uh, you know, be thankful it never caused an accident and whatever. And so those are things that happen all the time. And, uh, yeah, occasionally we, we react emotionally. Uh, we let our biases, our predispositions kind of filter some of our, uh, our responses that ultimately don't create desirable results. And, uh, and because of that, we then re-examine. And maybe if you have the stimuli again, you end up with a different view because you've uh, been a, 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 an open and learning human being and you strive for awareness. And self-awareness is probably one of the great, greatest levels and gifts you can get. And what is this practice for you? Because this is something that is very personal, mm -hmm. but it, on the other hand, there are certain components that when they are combined together, yeah. they actually do move the needle yeah. for the better. Do. What does well, it look like for well, you? Well, the first, the first part for me is, is I'm actually learning and, and I've been working on meditation for a long period of time. Uh, before I left on the Man in Motion tour, I was uh, incredibly stressed. I, I, I had the burden, literally the burden of the world on my shoulders. I had this massive dream that I was about to pursue. I wasn't able to sleep properly. I was getting cranky. I, I just wasn't myself and I hadn't even started. And I went, oh my God, if, if I don't do something to address this, I'm, I'm, I'm actually probably not even going to be able to get past maybe the first month or two, I'll collapse under the weight of it. And a friend of mine said to me, uh, well, I think that what you're doing is you're, you're just not able to process all this stress and all the worry and, uh, and all the volume. And he said, why don't you try meditation? And so I said, well, what's that? He said, well, you know, it's simply inserting two 20-minute periods a day in your life to decompress, uh, to let your mind settle and to get a lot of the clutter that's overwhelming you today, probably before you started upping your game to really take on all the incredible challenges of the tour, you had natural coping mechanisms and you could kind of shed off the stress or put things in perspective, but now you're, you're, you're not able to, you're just too busy. So why don't you counter that by putting two 20 minute periods? I thought that sounds pretty easy. And I ended up trying meditation and, and it was unbelievable how it shifted my whole viewpoint, my demeanor, my sense of well being, And I realized, oh my gosh, there's something to this um, and maybe I should continue it and, and it's been very, very helpful. The second part is, of course, is it is just basically constantly integrating a, a, a bit of a pause, you know, uh, trying, trying to get to that point where when things happen that you, you don't just react, you know, uh, because if you're able to give yourself a couple of breaths and there's a little bit of reflection, you know, a little bit of context, you know, you can maybe elevate yourself out of the ego of the moment and, and see it from a higher perspective. And that gives you, again, the ability to process and put things uh, into uh, a healthier frame, a more realistic frame. And that's uh, been a very helpful discipline for me as well. So those are the kind of the two things that I do that are practical. Meditate to try to 
create a space for my mind to be more clear and relaxed uh, and process stress and uh, reflect. And then that consciousness, uh, a couple of breaths between stimulus and response. You've mentioned several times, um, you, you call this, right, the Rick Hansen School of Life. <laughs> well, and, uh, well, we all have our own school of life, that's <laughs> exactly. right. Exactly, yeah. and, and I find that this is such a remarkable process when people are open to it, to understand that they are the designers of that mm. curriculum, True. right? But you have to be open-minded enough to bring in certain ideas, certain concepts, to try them for yourself and, and understand what does work and what doesn't work. And the biggest component probably of it all is that it all really takes a lot of time. Mm -hmm. Even meditation. I mean, I've also been uh, meditating for many, many years, but I remember the initial stages are extremely challenging, right? Mm -hmm. Your mind is all over the place and you don't understand why you're doing it and you develop your own uh, rhythm with it. But this is um, really remarkable. I want to go back to the interview you did with uh, Peter. And he actually quoted this section from the article by Sarah Hampson. And I want to get back to it because I have a sense that you have found a, a very unique place. I call it, it's the sweet spot between easiness, which is the easiness of life, and easiness, I-S-N-E-S-S, -S, being here. And really, it's a sweet spot that the more time you can spend in, life is just more beautiful, even with the worst things that can happen. And the quote from that article was this. The uh, writer, uh, Sarah Hampson, says, does he hope that he'll walk again, I ask. For some, as the late actor Christopher Reeve rendered a quadriplegic in a riding accident, that hope sustains him. Mr. Hansen shakes his head, saying nothing. Has he given up hope that he might? He turns his eyes to look directly at me. No. One day it might work. Wouldn't that be cool? But is it something that I wake up every day wishing for? No. He shakes his head slowly again. Because my life is full. This, my whole body is, you know, my, my hair stand on end. You have touched here on something that I think is probably the epicenter of acceptance of a condition. Now, for those of us who have been challenged physically, and I know that on the mental side it's the same, right? But there is something about an experience and the process where we go through to own that experience. Yes, we want it to change. Yes, we lost something and we're trying to bring something else to replace it. And yet there is this magic in that place. And sometimes we need to go through great lengths, do extreme adventures and pursue dreams that are beyond our capacity to even think that they are possible to achieve them. But then we understand that that magic spot is right here. Can you share that particular place for you, what it is? Yeah, you know, that, that quote, yeah, that sentiment comes from a lot of hard work, a lot of hard work pursuing life, uh, living life, uh, having interesting successes and failures, uh, ultimately going through and asking the tough questions about who are you? Uh, what do you value? 
And what do you see as being the meaning of life and what gives you a sense of purpose and fulfillment? And interestingly, when these questions are answered, they never point back to my ability to use my legs. Never. And I think about love, being able to be loved by my family, my friends. I think of being able to love. Uh, I think about the notion of feeling that I have meaning and self-worth, that I am a sovereign and unique human being, uh, and that I count in this world, as I do believe everyone counts. And I also believe that in the pursuit of meaning and purpose, that we all have the ability to utilize whatever our strengths are uh, to be able to contribute and to make a difference and to be able to wake up in the morning with a passion, to be able to set goals and chase dreams and, and to hopefully stretch out this life another month, a year, a decade, a couple. Um, what a privilege. And it reminds me then that if I'm living authentically, it's against that self-awareness of answering that question, who are you? What do you value? What are the things that are meaning most to you? And then asking the other question is then, are you putting your time and your effort to match up to that? And if you are, life is full. And it doesn't mean it's perfect in the sense of some absolute measurement. It's perfect in its imperfection of feeling full and ultimately feeling that your life is a blessing and you wouldn't trade it for the use of your legs. So powerful. And really, if there was a way to package this and hand it over to people to see the possibility, because one of the areas that has always been challenging for me, it was challenging for me on my own personal journey, of course, with an elective amputation, and then this whole identity of who you are. Are you your injury? Are you your disability? Did you really change? And who are you? And for you, Rick, you know, you're a father, three daughters, yeah. right? Uh, married, run a successful organization, have done your accolades at the beginning of the podcast. I, I talk about them. They, they, they run forever. But can you speak to specifically men that are listening to this Life Rebuilder podcast who have experienced a devastating event? Sometimes I find that people say, oh, you know, you lost a leg or you lost the ability to use your legs or something terrible happened to you. So you had to overcome it and become who you are. And I only went through bankruptcy or divorce or I broke my leg. Yeah. They almost minimize or diminish what has happened to them because they compare it always to someone else. Right. What would you what kind of advice can you give to these particular men? Because we are men. We work in this world very differently. We're trying to be, you know, better fathers, better lovers, better providers, better businessmen. And yet when we get severed by this event, this identity of ours is shaken to the core. What would you tell to our fellow men out there as a man to men on what to do here? Well, uh, I'd first of all refer to a quote from a guy who I really, really admire and respect, and that's Michael J. Fox. 
and he says uh, that we all have our bag of hammers to carry. And, and really what that means is in his world he has Parkinson's and boy, it sure impacted him. But in many ways, look at what he's done. You know, he's a, an actor. Uh, he's involved you know, as an advocate for uh, an important cause. He's a father, he's a husband. Uh, he's just a great inspiration and he finds humor in, uh, in some of the tough, sticky things in life. And so my, my sense is that we all have challenges. Some are just more visible. And I guess the key is, is that it's not so much worrying about putting a metric on the challenge against others uh, to try to minimize uh, what we might be dealing with. It's more about, you know, really examining, uh, you know, the, the, the impact of the challenge that, we've, that we currently have uh, in our own life and, and maybe looking for inspiration, uh, you know, in others to see how you can attack that challenge and, and overcome it and to continue to live a great life. And the other part of it is often men, uh, we're not often taught or encouraged how to find our voice on these matters. These matters of the emotion, uh, you know, the, the social, uh, and we're matters obviously of endeavor are usually our strengths and the emotional intelligence of males uh, has something to be desired in general, not for all, but, and of course the ability to, uh, to find our voice, to speak openly about our feelings, uh, the emotions that are not the thinking, but uh, it's the real essence of how we feel about something. I, I think it gives us potency to be able to then not be tripped up you know, by the baggage that we often carry silently, even often in an unaware way, that we then falter down the road with sometimes interesting behavior that we wonder where it comes from. But in reality, it's because that examined nature of that bag of hammers uh, really hasn't, hasn't been accentuated because we just don't have the tools. And so seek the tools, learn the discipline, uh, don't think of emotions as being weakness. You know, they're strengths and, uh, and there's something to be listened to and to examine and to develop. And, and women are very, very strong and capable and they've, uh, in general, developed a very powerful emotional intelligence. And uh, being surrounded by women in my family life with my three daughters and my wife and, and uh, many uh, female colleagues and mentors, uh, I've uh, I've tried to learn from them. Uh, I, I think it's been very helpful. That ability is is a gift, and I find, especially with men, sometimes just as you said, the initial concepts of what a man is supposed to represent, or when your position is taken away from you, or your power is taken away from you from something like this that has happened, there's actually a path to really embrace that and become such a larger version of yourself if you endeavor to do this. But you have to be open to seek that help, listen to it, and, and execute on exactly. it, right? Exactly. And, and yeah, and, and as I said earlier, in my own journey is to re-examine what your, uh, your success factors are for your identity. Because if your identity is based on these things that are kind of made up um, maybe artificial, and now uh, you're, you're sitting there uh, 
clearly uh, naked in the uh, in, you know in the in the comparison. Uh, you have to ask yourself: uh, are are those factors real? Do they matter? The big questions that we're all afraid of. Now to wrap up the interview here. You are an adventurer at heart. You've done it from a young age. You continue to do it today. I mean, you've taken upon yourself. Uh, I call them life adventures at the end of the day. Yeah. What, what is an adventure for you these days? And, and what's coming ahead? You know, adventure for me is on a number of fronts. First of all, it's, uh, it's the journey. Always, uh, for me, it's about uh, where's the next part of my journey? Is it going to be to go into a northern, uh, you know, sort of BC Yukon lake with my friends and uh, float plane in and set up a wall tent and have a zodiac and catch fish and be off the grid for a week and decompress? Or is it off to a bucket list location uh, in South America, a place I haven't been, and, and learn uh, about, you know, uh, the Aztecs or the Mayans or uh, ultimately uh, the Incas and, and try to try to really gain a sense of their history and their culture? Or is it to go to Africa and uh, see a part of the world and meet people and learn more? Because by learning more, we grow and uh, we also have lessons of uh, things that kind of repeat themselves no matter where the culture and location. And, and then I'm also thinking of the journey on uh, the spiritual side to be able to think, someone once asked me, if you're going to make a life strategy, uh, don't think long-term in five or 10-year periods. Why don't you think about the fact that you might only have six months to live? Tell me the top five things that are most important to you. And there's a, a profound way to sharpen that perspective. And the first is, is, to, is to think about your family and your health and to think about then your, your organization to ensure that it's prepared for succession to go on these adventures of these different locations and, and then to learn more about the unique nature of where you've come from when you entered this world and where you're about to go when you leave it. And that spirituality and, uh, you know, and that greater context is, uh, is a beautiful mystery and, uh, and yet uh, it's often left unexplored and there's so much perspective and lessons to be learned. And so I look forward to those journeys. I, I look forward to the time with my family to see my grandchildren grow. Uh, the arrival of our third grandson will be uh, coming up uh, in uh, the later part of this year. And to be able to see how they learn and, uh, and the shared love and experiences, it's a beautiful privilege and uh, I'm passionate about that. And, and to see the success of the entities that I've been involved with, but the people who come to the organization to pursue a cure for paralysis or an accessible and inclusive world for people with disabilities and know that they're making way more progress than I ever could and I'm so proud of them and and then ultimately to be able to think about well what is it that what is it that I haven't been able to do that I'm passionate about and yeah let's keep going on that spiritual journey because life is precious and you can't take anything for granted I've learned from personal experiences with family and other circumstances that you're moving along, feeling like everything's just super cool, and then out of the blue, tragedy can happen, and uh, in an instance, it's all changed, and there's no getting it back. So therefore, no regrets. 
What a beautiful way to end this podcast. And Rick, once again, I really want to thank you for sharing this life perspective and lessons with all of us here. And you're a gift to us all. So thank you for all the work that you do and keep shining the light. Thank you. And thank you for part of uh, the journey. You're uh, a great inspiration and a tremendous champion uh, showing ability. Thank you. My friends, I hope you enjoyed this podcast episode as much as I did. Spending time with Rick was remarkable. We had a chance to really understand his worldview, his drive, what it takes to take a devastating event in your life, harness it and grow with it and to make something so amazing to share it with the world the way Rick does is a gift. And as always, my friends, go to erezavramov.com slash podcast. Under Rick Hansen's podcast, there will be lots of resources, videos, and information. You can learn more about Rick, his life story, his foundation work. And as always, my friends, please go on iTunes, rate our show. This allows us to reach as many people as possible. We bring to you content here that has inspiration, adventure, and just tries to capture the essence of what makes us great and how we can harness it into our own lives. I'll see you, my friends, next time.